Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. The film board gathers. The Gang of Thugs is here to take on a movie currently in theaters. And this month, we're heading to the plains of Oklahoma to find Martin Scorsese's heart and investigate the insidious crimes of white people in Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, Sage. They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. 
Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> <laughs> This wealth should come to us. Their time is over. It's just going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. Is that is that what we're doing in this movie? Are we investigating the insidious crimes of white people, or are we we're watching making them. our criminal white people the main characters of a story <laughs> that shouldn't be theirs to tell? So you're a real bookhead, JJ. Have you read the book, the David Gann book? Absolutely not. I didn't either. I always wanted to, and I think I have it in my Kindle, but I've never gotten around to it. Oh, I don't even have that. I have it in my Libby queue, and I added it to my Libby queue before we, when I knew we were doing this movie, and it I, was like 20 weeks out. Today, it's like 16 weeks out. So I'll catch you in uh, three months or so. I get the idea, and I'm Oklahoma people. Born in Oklahoma, right. lots of family in Oklahoma. And not only do I have lots of family in Oklahoma, my family's from oil. Like, my family's mm. a there-will-be-blood family, and it's not great. Like, I'm not in it. But we have a lot of history in this kind of stuff. So this movie, okay. I don't I don't want to say it hit me in in a, a bigger or worse way maybe than anybody else, but it certainly hit home in a way that I did not expect. Killings mm. of the Flower Moon. I didn't even introduce you guys. I was so excited. Justin J.J. <laughs> Yeager is here. Hi, J.J. Hello. Tommy Hi. Metz also hasn't read the book. Hi, Tom. Hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the story. Um, and So the the story of Killers of the Flower Moon tells of the the insidious, horrific, uh, stifling murders perpetrated against the uh, Osage people when it was discovered that they had oil on what was previously thought to be junk land in the middle of Oklahoma. Um, Fairfax, Oklahoma, is a uh, lovely little town. It is just uh, it's it's not. Panhandle. It's really smack in the middle of the northern middle of the state uh, of Oklahoma. Uh, and it is still doesn't have a very large population. I mean, it's it is a small, small town. Um, and that is where our story takes place. There was a lot of money mm. in this little town. And then the uh, Osage murders happened. So Scorsese comes in and takes off this, takes off trying to make this story. The book came out in 2017, but they'd optioned it and had the rights to make it in 2016 oh. and have been trying to make the movie for a long time. Now, when I first heard the movie was finally being released, there was something in my head that said he's been trying to tell this story for a decade. Not quite a decade. Well, that's but that's what he told me before the film started. He did. He did. did. Yeah. Little that too. Yeah. Where yeah. he said, I've been trying to tell this story for so long. Yeah. yeah. There was another book when, that came out uh, earlier than than Killers of the Flower Moon that I think he was probably inspirational to him as well. I think it won the Pulitzer. I can't remember, quite remember the name, uh, but we'll find that for the notes. Is it the story of Ernest Burkhart? And no. William it's called, Hale? it's actually a musical, oh, Ernest Burkhart and Pals. No. I don't know the answer to that question, um, but it is. No, well, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I, the, the, part of the reason that I'm so bent out of shape for this yeah. is in particular, uh, some 
next reel key the feelings that go back a few years and i remember when we did the movie green book mm-hmm. and it came mm-hmm. out and yeah. it won best picture of that year and i remember when we saw it we did it for the film board we did it for this very show and we we didn't get it exactly we said it feels kind of like you know it's a cafeteria book you know, or movie it, it it doesn't really you know say anything it, it doesn't feel like it's very emotional and we didn't really understand and then after we did our show in opening weekend like we're doing here we hear all the criticism of a story of a person of color being told through the eyes of in that movie a white savior now we don't have that here in this movie we are right. not talking about white saviors, but we have made the main characters of this really important historical story two white guys that went and tried to steal the culture from the Osage people. And I have, and I am very fired up about it. <laughs> and I really want to talk to you guys about it, especially in terms of Scorsese. Because why did he make this movie? He told us he wanted to tell this story. It's so much so that he, jumping ahead, spoiler alert, apps the movie. <laughs> Yeah. By saying this story was never told, he comes on screen and does it. He has his Snowden moment where he comes on screen and says, this story was never told, so I'm going to tell it. So why didn't you tell us the story of the people that you're trying to tell? I'm, I'm, I, I, I wasn't angry about it when I watched it, but as I sit and stewed about this, I don't want to keep getting this wrong. And we got it wrong on this show about Green Book. So let's talk about it now and help me reconcile my emotions about this guys well i wasn't ready for this movie in that i all i knew about the book was the subtitle of the book which is the creation of the fbi and so i thought this was going to be a crime solving thing sure i thought that what's his name because i hadn't really seen much of a trailer i thought he was probably going to play what jesse plemons played i thought it was going to be about figuring out about a crime i like no, I can't say that I like. I respect that it's not. But I was so ready for that kind of a movie that I had trouble with the choice of placing it in a very uncharismatic, neither cacklingly evil or smart or charismatic or very interesting character as your as our entrance into it all was a weird audience surrogate. I like... Are you talking about Leonardo DiCaprio? Leonardo DiCaprio, Ernest, correct. Ernest. Okay, um, I just wanted to make sure. And I like, I respect, again, not showing up just as a detective movie because that would make just the Osage people and especially Molly just be a victim. So trying to ground it so much of the movie before the FBI even shows up, I respect it, but it didn't make it made it for kind of queasy viewing because even though we don't want to make her a victim, she spends most of the movie uh, either very reserved or incredibly sick and bedridden. So I don't know. Like I was confused. What is Leonardo DiCaprio's character? No. What doesn't he, are we supposed to be who there really wasn't anyone to be rooting for other than the Osage people. And they were weirdly in an attempt to put them in the forefront, got even more somehow sidelined at times. Totally. And so I just, again, I respect it more than I enjoyed it. I just felt, I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling a lot of the time. I certainly wasn't feeling dread. I certainly wasn't feeling on my toes. And I was wondering if I was supposed to. So it was, it was a rough, I would want to see it again, not for a while, but I definitely want to see it again now that I, cause you know, I'm a big 
believer in especially once you know what the movie's scope is going back in and seeing it on its own terms i definitely want to do that with this movie uh but yeah it was a it was it was a tough watch with some a beautiful filmmaking some great acting of course but i think all of that should be assumed that should be a given uh to start from there and then jump higher as i understand it the book actually focuses much more on tom white the Bureau Jesse of Plemons, Investigation, I would assume. Right, Jesse Plemons' yeah. character, right? The book focuses much more on that character because it is the um, the Osage murders and the birth of the FBI. That's the right. full subtitle of the thing. It's not a, the book itself. The source material is not the story that you it's were not, looking here's for. Bad I think, guts, JJ. Johnson. It's not yeah. who comes back to town, <laughs> right? Right, right. Um, and and it was actually Scorsese who said, look, if we make this the story of the FBI, we're taking the story away from the Osage people even more than we already have. So let's focus it on the marriages, the relationships between these people, the insidiousness, and the fact that there are no white saviors in this movie, right? Like, right. But then he did it wrong. I mean, I, I get that, I didn't right? see that, we, though. I just didn't see the wrongness of it. When do we have the Osage perspective? When are when do we have a primary character that's actually Osage in this? We are living the Ernest Burkhardt story with this. So much so that what Tommy, you were talking about in terms of confusion about this character, what he knows, you know, whether he's an agent of good or evil, it changes throughout the story. Are we sympathizing with him? Is he actually, you know, when he decides to to testify, is that, oh, okay, he has he has become he has a character arc there is no perspective of the osage people here they are as you said they're on the side of this story she you think uh lily gladstone her part should have been the uh, the central protagonist of the film if his intention was to put this story back in the osage hands it could have been anyone as part of the tribe not burkhard and hale which is they are our primary characters mm. and, and we follow them everywhere. You could have, if the book was about Tom White, is that what he said? Yeah. If the book was about Jesse Plemons' character and you decide that you want to put it back in the hands of the Osage, then pick a primary Osage story to tell. I don't. I he didn't do that. I think you're begging for a movie that Martin Scorsese might just not know how to make. Right? He makes the crime story, and the crime was perpetuated by these idiots and horrible people, and that's the story he's focusing on. To me, the spotlight is on the people doing the evil. I. I. That's great, but then the point is. He hasn't achieved putting the story back in the hands of the Osage. That's all the point that I'm trying to make, that this becomes Invictus, that this becomes Green Book. This becomes something that is about an important thing about people of color that we aren't telling the story of people of color during it. Right. But I think what you're saying is not something that I said. Uh, what you're saying is right. he's not giving the story back to the Osage people. And what I said oh. was Scorsese did not want to take the story away from the Osage more than it already had been. That is That's a fair. very different scope. And you watch this movie very closely. He still made a mafia movie, right? This is still an yeah, organized crime exactly. story. It's right <laughs> in his backyard, this movie. Right. So um, it, you're right about we that. We definitely got like when you talk about like what Scorsese when, in our pre-show chat, what Scorsese is best at. You want to say it again because I'm going to get it wrong. What is he best at for you? 
He is best at making graphic, intense situations show up in very plain and terrifying ways. Blunt. Taking, right, very blunt and putting it there right. for me. And he, there's many of those Scorsese moments in this movie for me. All too. over the place. Yeah. Here's a hypothetical. Why, if, if, why don't we put the main character of the story, not Jesse Plemons, if we want to put it off of the, the, the main interrogator and we put it in the Native American, the indigenous person that is on his team? And we tell his story mm. as part of the creation of the of the FBI and the work that he was doing right inside in terms of this investigation, which becomes, you know, a, an off screen soundbite when they're getting together and talking about what they learned. Yeah. Isn't that a better way to tell this story? Isn't this that putting the story back again? I know I, I recognize that that's not what you said, but like, isn't that a way to do what I believe Scorsese really wanted to do here? And unfortunately, he puts the, he literally puts himself on screen. Why? Like he, yeah, there isn't a white savior in the story, but he makes himself the white savior <laughs> of the situation at the end by like, and they didn't mention the murders. So I'm here to make a radio show of it and be the white guy that's going to tell you all about it. Like it's literally the worst thing for this type of story, in my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. It makes me really angry. It makes me really angry because, again, when we did Green Book, we missed it. And then we learned from, you know, every, all the things we learn afterwards that, like, all the things they told the story about the people of color in Green Book were fabricated. Yeah. We didn't like. For the purposes of the story. Well, see, I think. That we didn't could, like Green Book. We didn't like Green Book. We just didn't like it for the wrong reasons. There were, there exactly. were more reasons to we not like Green Book. Part. Yeah. The, the difference yeah. here is that everything that I've read, the Osage people are celebrating this movie in the way the story is told, Good. that the Osage people are on the side of Scorsese in this, that he has done the work, that he did the work to tell the story in a way that honors the the tr true tragedy, generational tragedy that went on for these people in this part of the country. And, and so I, because of that, I have a hard time um, feeling like this movie has done a disservice to the people who need it done. I feel like you're asking for a movie that just didn't get made. It's a different And movie. he's donating all of the funds that he receives for the movie back to the Osage people, yeah. right? So he's not going to make any money from this movie at all. This movie was important to him. Right, which is great. Well, I don't know if that's true. That was sarcasm. I don't know if that's true. But if it's not, if he takes money for this, well, he, he becomes William Hale. <laughs> who, as a character, shows up as a friend to the Osage throughout and is literally taking their stories, taking their resources from them to make money. Yeah, I don't know if he's, give, is, if he's giving I don't money either. to the Osage. I, I, right? I, 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 we're, we're talking crazy circles, but, here, but, but. but that is, I, I, I know that this was an important story to him. I've read him talking about it for years. Like, he's been talking about making this movie, getting it done. Tom, you're about to say something. Yeah. Well, I also I really liked the ending with the radio show, which apparently was, was a real really thing. Clever. That yes. that was a real radio really show fun. that they did, and that F, that Hoover promoted because he wanted the FBI to be more and more legitimate. Um, I liked the idea of it because so it also they did was it with an old timey radio show. I'm sorry, they wanted it to be legitimate. So let's put some cowbells and you know that's all we had back then. <laughs> I mean, what, what else was there? That was when everyone was grouped around a radio. Yeah, so that was as legitimate as it got. Um, I like that it's also a bit of a comment on how these kind of stories are shared and what it takes for these stories to be shared. That everyone on the radio show, they're all male, almost all male, definitely all white. 
that it takes this kind of, and then for it to end with, yes, there was no mention of the murders. This was something that got a lot of press way back in the day, was immediately forgotten about, riled up again with the book, kind of forgotten about, and then this movie is coming out. One of the reasons that you can't potentially have the whole movie centered around Molly or that other investigator that you brought up, JJ, is there's no way that you'll get $200 million to do it. It takes certain people, and unfortunately, it took these two white people, meaning Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, in order to get it made. While I wish they would have played different characters, ones that either I knew... You know you're never rooting for Robert De Niro, but Leonardo is very weird he's just a very weird he's very i'm sure he was a blast to play because he's so real and weird and messy but again that doesn't Mm -hmm. make it fun to watch there's nothing really to root for and so i like that all of that happened at the end and i like that he's sort of saying this is what it takes and this is the best i can do it's almost like there was a feeling of like almost asking for forgiveness or contriteness of putting himself up there at the very end. I thought it was really interesting. So that's more what I feel. I do not get a green book feeling from it because I think that the movie does take into account. This is what it takes. And the fact that we don't know this story and the fact that I liked that it brought up the Tulsa riots because I never knew this story. I've heard about the Tulsa riots, but why have I heard about the Tulsa riots? A, because I happened to write a, a, a paper about it in college, but most people know about it because of the Watchmen. Watchmen, yeah, the Watchmen on HBO, mm-hmm. led by white, yeah. like da- white David Lindelhoff. I mean, this is it's how these stories are told, and so um, I thought that yeah, was an interesting. Viewpoint. And, and and we should do better from a journalistic perspective. Sure. Pete. this is what I would say about it. He got the coverage right, but he got the treatment wrong. Right, he gave it coverage, but he treated it the wrong way by putting the focus on these people. And, uh, you know, I, I just... Uh, it just it I think, surprises me, given what we know about, about Martin Scorsese. His focus is on the bad people in his movies. It's not like any of his prior movies have shown any DNA that would indicate he's suddenly going to pick a protagonist that isn't complicated and ill-meaning in the world, right? Mm. Like, that's just what he does. So I went in expecting right. my protagonists to be the bad guys, because that's it. And also, I immediately have sympathy for Lily Gladstone's character, because I know for the duration of my three and a half hours with her, she's going to be a victim and I have to sit alongside and watch. I have to watch. She gets comeuppance at the end. I get to feel good about that. Mm -hmm. I get to feel good when she stands up and says, after he says, my soul is clean, I am telling you no more lies. And she says, what was in the shots? And he says, just insulin. And she stands up and walks away. Because of their relationship, I got to feel great about that. I got to have the emotional comeuppance that I needed at the end of the movie. So I just, I, I feel like maybe I, maybe I walked in wired for Martin Scorsese more than mm. you did. And maybe yeah. the, the fact that Martin Scorsese is making this movie is the problem because how else would he make the movie? I don't think he would. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, honestly, this is probably some of the difficulty that I have with Scorsese and all these other films that we're talking about, right? They're protagonists or the the primary character because they're not really protagonists. Sure. The primary characters are all flawed yeah. or even evil in some way. So then let's get to 
a, a, a different specific criticism to kind of point to that. If this is the case, then why do you have this? There's a bunch of scenes in this film that are unnecessary to tell the story other than to tell the Ernest and William story. For example, in the jail cell at the end, when Ernest finally decides whether this is a reason that's good for the character person in history or whether he's just been pressured into it that he's going to testify against William. And they have this scene in the jail, which definitely did not happen in real life um, because they would never let that happen <laughs> to actually have this big confession. What is the purpose of that scene for any of the purposes that we've talked about in this story? Why do we have that scene? It tells us nothing. It's literally, and maybe this is what you're talking about, Tommy, it's literally giving screen time to these big white actors so that they can get the $200 million to make this movie. Because otherwise, there's no reason to have that scene in this story. It doesn't tell us anything about either of the characters. It just leads us to what's happening next and gives them more time on screen in a three and a half hour movie. <laughs> I don't, it's really confusing. I actually think that, that scene there. is really great for pacing, for, for the pacing of the arc of their relationship. It had been a real yo-yo. He had decided to testify and then changed his mind. They bullied him. And then he finally comes back and actually gets to own his own identity and say, look, you've tried your damnedest, Hale. I'm, I'm testifying against you. And you've pulled out all the stops. You've had all the people come and get me. But I really have figured out maybe who I am. And I'm going to own... I'm going to own it. I'm going to own what I did. And I'm going to and and because it's Scorsese, he also then lied to her again at the end. Like he didn't actually. That's the coda. He has absolved himself of nothing apart from, you know, which is the the thing that you expect, that final sort of character twist. But to me, I love that scene. Yeah, and this is where our interpretations of the movie are different, probably for the reasons that we like Scorsese. You see a nuanced yo-yo. Mm -hmm. I see a confusing malaise about a character that I don't know how to feel about throughout the story. I have to, I am on both sides because I find <laughs> JJ's definition of that character is, again, I, I called it queasy. Um, that this, uh, it, it seems, I was just unclear what he knew, what he was feeling, uh, because he's, unfortunately, probably incredibly good at acting like that character who maybe was just sort of befuddled and is coming home with guts that don't work and is just sort of figuring out and being. But then to have him, I mean, for him to be our entrance and, and just sort of see him very matter of factly or bluntly, as JJ was saying, like, just talk about murdering his wife's sisters, planning on all of these <sighs> horrible things. But I didn't feel like. Does the movie know that we are seeing this happen? <laughs> Here's another so... scene. Let me give you another scene that puts me in that confusing space that Tommy's talking about. After the explosion at Rita and I can't remember Smith, Will Smith, Bill Smith's place, yeah. we we get to experience that explosion from Ernest right. again, and we see him concerned about his wife initially, and then run out and survey the damage. And we are he again. He is the audience surrogate. So what he's the one that made this happen. So what do we what's the emotion that we're supposed to feel there? Is it accomplishment? Is it success? Is it No, he seems very he seems upset. He seems yeah. regretful or upset, but he did and maybe the only thing that I could give some of his reaction to was there the explosion was way bigger than it was supposed right. to be or needed to be. Uh but no, but that was but that was a weird thing cuz I we were watching him 
really react and get teary eyed. And but it, but I was like, but yeah, but you did this. Yeah, but this is the point of the character, and this is why the character is so complex for me. It's a character who is simple. I mean, you say queasy. I say simple because he comes home and he gets in line with his uncle because he's always had this patriarchal relationship with his uncle, and he does what his uncle says. And he does this stuff because he doesn't know any different, because that's family. Because And, and so he does this stuff that is ill at the will of his uncle, and the movie's telling the story of him slowly coming to terms with the fact that, oh— this stuff isn't good. Like, I'm bad at this, right? I'm, A, bad at this and bad because <laughs> and bad of this. Because of this, yeah. Right? And that's the that's the yes. story of Ernest. Yes, and here we are telling Ernest's story again. I know, but this is Scorsese. That we're thinking about Ernest as a complex character. Yeah. When, again, it's not supposed to be his story. I know, but I can't argue this point with you anymore, JJ. I just can't. Like, there, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. We have to move on from that. We your okay. point is your point is levied, but there, we're not going to awesome. get to the other side of that because okay. that's this is the movie we got. So it's a bad mm-hmm. movie I for you. I Maybe I, it's a movie that's aggravating. A, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't as bad as Green Book. Like, this is yes. the weird thing, right? In terms of my no enjoyment of the music. Yeah. Uh, right. In terms of my enjoyment of the film, in terms of the filmmaking, in terms of the acting and the and and, and the the. The pictures, the beauty. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, there's so much. The music, the that stuff was great, but it made me so angry. Like, I don't <laughs> know what to do with myself about it because it's like, I don't want to see this story. I don't care. Why do I know the name Ernest Burkhart? I shouldn't know that name. It's like in a weird way about like journalism, when we have serial killers or we have serial rapists and we put their names on TV, we need to stop doing that. And we need to give time and and energy to the victims because it's not helping for us to dramatize the complexity and nuanced yo-yo of the people who perpetrate these things on people so yes i understand why it's a well put together movie but it does if that was the purpose of making the movie to tell the story of the osage i think it fails and i think you're right pete i don't think scorsese could have told it differently i think he made a scorsese movie um and it wasn't for you. But, yeah. Well, here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing I'm willing to hang a hat on, which is that I don't know enough about the historical figure of Ernest. Right. I don't know. A, a lot of people are talking about and Wikipedia already has this updated that this movie is a revisionist film about the Osage killing. That's fine. I haven't read the book. I'm still 11 weeks out on my Libby uh, library rental. So fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll get there. The the thing I'm hanging my hat on right now is that maybe just maybe. Scorsese and team know more about the people they chose to focus on and focused on them for a reason, that there is something of truth in this story about these historical figures that because of the way they manipulated the Osage people and and took advantage of the community and instigated this four year reign of insidious terror on these people that we need to know their names, right? That they need to be marked in history and and with a big black mark in history. And the fact that we don't know their names is every bit as insidious about not knowing about Black Wall Street and, and the Tulsa race riots, right? We need to know those stories. These are the guys who perpetrated hate on a good, kind people of the plains, and we need to know that, right? Yep. So that yep. we don't That's create more... You know, I keep wanting to say Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine was fine. (laughs) He was a co-pilot in Airwolf. He's fine. 
whatever Ernest's <laughs> name is. You, you get my and point? Again, yes. you, I think that's a very good point. And history is has largely been told by white people. And so we will mm -hmm. have more information about them. I mean, just it's again, not to keep belaboring the point, but that last line, there was no mention of the murders. Who was that written by? Who was that obituary right. written by? Probably not the Osage right. people. And so uh, the idea that we know more about these things from this one, I guess the movie is two things. And when I, I would like to revise my queasiness about it is it is about this huge broad scope moment in history. And also what could be a very interesting character study of one person, why he could be interesting is he has a foot in both camps. He's married and seems to dearly love. Yes. A member of the people that he is then also on behest of his uncle working to manipulate and kill i i believe that he did love her i believe he was also an idiot um yes. and so you do absolutely which part love her yes believe that he loved her. absolutely yes. absolutely and it's told in the story because the timing that he sort of falls in love with her is before he knows all of the the plans to like marry and then slowly poison all these people and i think if i have a, a, a problem with the movie it's that the pacing is told really a bit clumsily like this tells a four-year story and i don't kind of get like when things happen on the timeline it doesn't articulate that very clearly so and I'm it sorry. rushes I'm, through some no. some pretty important stuff like headlots and allotments yeah and things that head I right, just had rights, head rights, head rights allotments that I just didn't, I never quite fully understood. And that seemed pretty important other than the idea of, I guess you just will your rights to the money to whoever is so left over rights, once you're dead. Head rights um, are referring to the mineral rights on, of each of the oil heads of the Derricks. Who has the, oh. who has the rights? That's a mineral lease. Uh, and so you own the rights and the oil companies are leasing those back from you. Uh, we can talk about, well, why there's your movie. No, just kidding. That'd be a terrible yeah. movie. Uh, but um, thank the you for saying that. are because, you know, the oil companies would just send great big checks to the Osage people and they were split as an allotment, right? They would just oh. get money. They would get their, their checks and they'd go for their allotments and sometimes they'd have to be sponsored sometimes. They, and the right. inheritance is if you marry the Osage woman and that woman dies, but you actually dies after putting you in her will, you get the money and thus Hale is born, right? Hale gets the money flowing in, quote, the right direction, <laughs> the white direction. Did you hear what I did that? Nice. It's terrible. I yes. mean, it's it's terrible. You know, what I'm hearing from you, Pete, is that we actually needed Adam McKay to make this movie. Because <laughs> he'd like put big graphics <laughs> up. He would, and has, he would bring yeah, Margot Robbie to, to tell us that. like what head rights are. Yeah. Well, that's what gets lost when you don't tell it from the point of view of the investigation, of right. figuring out where all these things go. Yes. It was almost like we already knew there's a little bit of teaching of Leonardo DiCaprio, but it's so hushed and so fast that I was like, it's just money and it's going from this person to the bad people. That's all I was able to do. But yeah, so that's the thing. It's like this huge scope uh, and then taking on kind of like American colonialism at yeah. its whole, at its whole, it, you don't even like blink at the fact that a, a jury member and B the person that's in charge of giving out a lotsman's is apparently the head of the Ku Klux Klan in yes. that County that he just walks right on by. So there's so much insidiousness to use Pete's words. There's so huge about how this can be what we have never learned from invading America and doing the things we did, but then also couching it in this character study. It's, Big, then small, then big, then small, then very episodic, then very cool. And then 
I felt and I, and I mean I felt its length. I am not a problem with long movies. Uh, Oppenheimer recently, like I never, I didn't have to use the restroom during this movie, but I felt its length. Part of that is because of potentially its episodic nature. There was feelings every once in a while of like Scorsese coming to a part in a book and be like, oh, that's cool. We should also put that in. And it's like, did we need to spend all that time with the race going down the street? You know, little things like that. I, it's funny. I didn't have a single blink to the length. It, it felt like it just raced by. That's it really awesome. did. And That's part awesome. of it is, I think, the the treatment of the the music. I mean, mm. the music, Robbie music Robertson, that that bass thrum uh, that underscored, what, 90 percent of the movie made it so that when there was silence, it was a vacuum. Yeah. It was extraordinary treatment of sound in this movie. I mean, extraordinary. Uh, I am. I, this is one of those movies I'm deeply relieved, like Oppenheimer, to have seen on a big screen because mm, yeah. it was it was spacious and the sound was in, was incredible. I just love the score. I love the score. Mm-hmm. I thought the music was fantastic too. I, it, many times I was finding myself being emotionally moved one way or another yeah. with the score, not by the score, but with the score, and I liked that a lot. Okay, so I, I just want to <laughs> because we were talking about about pacing and timing, what fixes that? Do we need to go to Thelma Schoonmaker's office and say, look, I know you've worked with him a long time, but you need to trim it down? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to keep banging on the same things, but my thing is to get focus on the story. I mean, everything Tommy just mentioned about this thing of like, it's episodic at time, it's a character study at time, it's a big, epi- you know, it, pick a lane and go that way. And I would prefer that he picked a different lane than he did with this. <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, I mean, that's why I brought up that scene in the jail cell, for example. I mean, I, uh, finding out about the child dying and then having the prayer with the de- there's a bunch of stuff that is service to us to a, a an inconsistent and uneven story that doesn't have a vision throughout. Um, and I think that's I mean, most of my anger or my flame about this movie is why. I need to know the why you did this. And then I can give you an answer about how to make it better. Um, for sure. I do agree that it's, it is trying to carry an enormous amount of water. And I like mm-hmm. that it wants to do that versus, again, I keep saying like respect that it wants to do that versus telling more of a through, you know, a quick through line, a very more focused story. Uh, forgive me. This is a far, this is a very imperfect analogy. Um, but I think it, hopefully is appropriate and if it's not Pete, <laughs> hover over the <laughs> the in out button on this part but i remember uh one of the first times that i went to uh eastern europe and they're at every town and when you go to different towns in germany different places they all of course talk about the holocaust mm-hmm. and even under a little bridge like this was a bridge where a bunch of people were killed it doesn't just talk about the bridge it has to talk about the entire Holocaust, every single monument, because it has to carry so much water because no one wants to get it wrong. And so on a placard, you have the smallest writing in the entire world. And instead of it just being very effective and affecting about a zoom in one thing, everything keeps getting blown out. Parts of this movie felt that way for me. It's so interesting to me that you guys saw a different movie than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I just fascinated by that, as always, uh, when when this happens. Because, again, my critique of, of racing through four years, it, like, it's just not three and a half hours was not enough time to tell this story. But I also don't know how to how you would tell the story any other way, given what you cut. And what you cut 
was all of the FBI stuff. And the FBI stuff in the book apparently was quite important. And tying this case, the Osage case, to the founding of the FBI is the nut of the book, as I understand it. And hmm. so I'm, I'm still really excited to to read the book because I, f- I feel like that's that might be Killers of the Flower Moon Part 2. Is By the way, Jesse Plemons has a whole movie to do right? Um, rather than just the last hour. That makes sense to me. And again, that's kind of the idea of of picking a lane mm-hmm. is that I would go with and to kind of hitchhike on Tommy's Holocaust yeah. analogy here is that, you know, the big movies that try to accomplish all of it are the movies that I don't really like about the Holocaust. For example, we've had this conversation before outside of the show, The Pianist. Right. Everyone loves that because it is this story and these other things. But like one of the films that I really like about the Holocaust is called The Gray Zone. Love it by Tim Blake Nelson, which again, focuses on a particular story Mm -hmm. within the Holocaust and tells that story and doesn't feel it needs to accomplish all those other things. So potentially what you're saying, Pete, if we, if again, this kind of goes to the why of making the movie, but if, if we're telling the story of the Osage, then we focus on that. If we're telling the story of the FBI, then we focus on that. If we're telling the story of American colonialism, we focus on that. My biggest problem with this film is that while it tried to tell all those stories, what I got was the story of Ernest Burkhardt and his uncle. And that's the thing why I get so angry about this movie, because I want the gray zone when we're talking about movies Mm -hmm that address these really serious, really important stories that we need to tell as as filmmakers, as as artists in the world, as historians. I think it's important that we tell it the right the, way. The more we talk about it, the more I think this is the story of American colonialism. And it's told through the mm-hmm. ideas of these white criminals. And there is no way to tell this story of American colonialism without telling the part of the story about the Osage people. And it is also explains why the Osage people are not the center of this movie, that this isn't a, uh, you know, a protagonist that is from the Osage community. And it explains it, it is explained by the fact that Martin Scorsese is who he is. He's a mob movie director. And also Hugo. And so I, I think that that to me sort of wraps it up. And so I get I, I get why it's it, it is an adjutant for you. And I get why it's not for me, um, right. because I do think the world's a better place with this story in it more more of this story. And let's make a $200 million movie uh, about this story. And it's too expensive, frankly. That's, come on, movies are ridiculous right now. But <laughs> let's make a big Martin Scorsese, De Niro, you know, Leo movie and and tell this story because people need to know that this is a real thing. I But, but speaking of the beauty of the movie, right, we talked about that it's a big movie and it's a gorgeous movie. Let's talk about Rodrigo Prieto. And I want to talk about Rodrigo because... We are tying Rodrigo into another recent film board pick. Mm. That's right. He was DP on Barbie. Interesting. <laughs> what do you think? What, what a do year you make for of Rodrigo. That, right? Yeah, Rodrigo. <laughs> you go, Rod. Hi, Rodrigo. <laughs> That's very exciting. Thoughts on uh, on camera? Like, come on, JJ, give it give it something to love, right? Oh, they're beautiful stuff. Yeah. I mean, in that, and it, there were a lot of choices for the camera in the film that were all really, really good choices about what to focus on, about how to show the story. Um, and, to sh- and I shouldn't even say the story, to show what's happening. Um, some of the stuff that I really liked was uh, th- the first thing that I think of when um, when I think about the camera is the scene with Lizzie, um, the mom of the, the Osage sisters, dying in her particular structure 
and she moves into this what appears to be the spirit world and it literally is just a waking up in a different vision of that same structure and moving there and then going seamlessly without without and this it could be a scorsese thing too but like the camera choices to use the structure and to use the land and to use all that stuff and to go back and forth. It was powerful for me. I liked it. Scorsese is a very, especially for his age, a very vigorous person behind the camera. He likes to have the camera swoop in sometimes and times when you're like, why that? Why over this head of cattle onto uh, Robert De Niro um, wanting to sell it? And saying not take too long, but it's always seems to work. <laughs> it always seems to like flow and give juices when you need juices. And then there were surprising times when the camera was just on sticks, like the very, very long Leonardo DiCaprio courtroom shot when he's slowly admitting to everything. There's nowhere to go. Every other director in the entire world would have done a Mickey Rooney, like a real slow push in. And instead, he just let it park there on him. There's nowhere yep. to hide. We're just going to watch this guy. That's a tremendous amount of restraint from a guy who then has a beautiful, I assume it's a, it's a, um, what are those things called where no one flies them? Drone shot. Drones. Of the, <laughs> of the very last image of the movie. Of them the going in the uh, the overhead, uh, going around in the circle. Um, so yeah, yes. it's likely a drone, but could be a, a very long jib too. Yeah. But uh, likely a drone, long. just yeah. considering where we are as uh, in the world right, right. now. That is that was a, a thing that I I particularly loved, and and going to the to these sort of alternate visions, and we have some with you know with um, Lily too, uh, when she sees the owl, when Mom sees the owl, all of those alternate visions are. Just shot straight across the bow. Like there is no treatment. There's no color timing. There's no nothing. It's just hard cut. Now there are people where owls once were. And uh, that was, I think, a again, a bold choice. And it takes you a second to get into it to realize, oh, I'm it's not me. It's the movie. Like I'm I get it. It it takes a little Can bit. you imagine how great a film would have been? If we did have Molly at the center of the story and experiencing those visions and all of mm. this sort of questioning of the relationship that she has with these people who are manipulating her in reality without any treatment with like the camera, what you could do with the camera. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I that just... would be called Shutter Island starring Lily Gladstone. And maybe we'll get it one day because she was incredible. Right. right? Like, yes. it, I, like yes. I, speaking strictly to performances, I thought she is an incredible find. Yeah. She's an incredible find. Yeah. And and she was an great. incredible human. She was wonderful. Very, very watchable. Very charming. She's a big reason why I believe that he really loved her. She brought a lot of uh, beauty to the relationship. I liked spending time with the two of them, which I definitely would not have liked if it had been just Leonardo DiCaprio, because he's pretty unlikable. What's going oh my on? God. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. I What's cannot believe that I have to eat this amount of crow. Oh, I can't no. believe it. She was not, uh, she, oh, man. So we did a whole series on the films of Kelly Reichardt. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lily Gladstone was in Certain Women, which is a Kelly Reichardt. Mm -hmm. We've already done this on the show. And she was also, um, she was also in First Cow, which was another uh, Reichardt, uh, movie with Alia Shawkat and uh, John Magaro and Dylan Smith. And it, it we have, we've not done that on the show as a 2019 film. But the point is, 
she's been in movies that we have talked about on the show, and I did not even uh, make a connection there. Not Absolutely JJ and made I. That connection. Woo! Yeah, Home free. Yeah, no, I, I eat. <laughs> I eat first cow. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry. I, you... I was too shocked, Tom, to not. I understand you. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think I said what I wanted to say about her. She made yeah. me want to be a part of their relationship. And I wish yeah. selfishly that she didn't have to spend so much of the movie so incapacitated because I liked her when she was in control. I agree. I also thought she was great incapacitated. She plays yeah. a good sick. She plays a good sick. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting a job at blurbs? Nope. Uh, still, Pete? <laughs> That's still not on your LinkedIn? Okay. Um, I, so most of the movie revolves around Leo DiCaprio. He, uh, the, as far as I know, there is no aging or de-aging in this movie beyond makeup and frowns. Um, <laughs> and boy, does Leo rock a frown. Yep. Do you feel good about his performance in this? Even if you, let's just assume you liked the movie. Let's take the, let's just in that fantasy land. How did he do? Yes, I did like it. I wish I'm seeing some of the tricks. In the same way that I can see some of the tricks with Robert De Niro, um, I wish. And there was a little bit too much face acting. He got very interested in his teeth and how to hold his jaw. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of time spent with that. But I loved listening to him talk. Talking, I thought, was I kinda, great. My my experience with Leo is that, that there's a lot of face acting and a lot of focusing on how to work your jaw okay yeah i mean that's that's the world of leonardo to me um i i think the earlier comments that we had about not really understanding what side he's on based on the way his character was emoting mm. that he was kind of a a vessel for whichever room he was in mm -hmm. makes it hard for me to really be happy with this performance of his. interesting i i like his work i like seeing his movies but i didn't understand his character so um yeah so I, I think it wasn't good for me. That's interesting. I was putting that yeah. as a fault of the movie, but I guess you could say that sure. that's a fault of the actor not being able to get it across. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know which. Could be either. It's uh, it, it's funny watching an interview with Scorsese and De Niro and DiCaprio um, asking, like, Leonardo DiCaprio says that De Niro and Scorsese have a real shorthand on set, that they really speak each other's language and nods and winks gets the job done. And when uh when de niro is asked what is it what is what do you observe with leonardo dicaprio working with scorsese and it cuts to both scorsese and dicaprio saying oh longhand lots of meetings and hours <laughs> of conversation and drawing pictures and really talking through it <laughs> and, and uh i i wondered as i was watching this movie i saw the interview last week and i'm watching this movie today and i wonder if any of that is on page <laughs> like airs on screen you know like sure. is this is this a residue is some of the some of his um persistent acting right it i love his performance and also to your point at times i felt like i could see through the veil of character to mm. acting mm. one thing that i think they both did really well was delivered the language mm -hmm. yes in particular yeah i was very impressed with both of their uh, picking it up and delivering it. I I didn't question for a minute that either of these men had actually learned that language and that they comprehended it, which I thought was interesting too, because they uh, Scorsese or someone chose different times to give us uh, subtitles and other times not. Yes. Right. 
And I think that was actually that was actually chosen well because the times when they chose not to kind of served the characters to show that they were comprehending something that we were not. And I thought they did a great job of it. I, I believe their accents with it too. And it was nuanced in the way of like they were white guys learning the language, yeah. but they had done some work to get there. It was it it felt really uh, authentic. Yep. It felt really earned. Well, the word is they did the work, right? When Lily Gladstone was asked, what did you think of them? And she said, they learned it really well for white men. <laughs> so, <Perfect>. like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what more exactly can you right. ask for? <laughs> yep. I like that he, that Scorsese seems to have adopted that one tall guy who, he wasn't the one that blew people up. He was the other one. He was also in The Irishman as the creep the guy that's with in the, the back mustache. seat. The mustache guy. Yeah. I like yeah. it when Scorsese yeah. adopts people and just brings them along for the next thing. That guy mustache. What was, his, mustache that, was yes. that John Ramsey? Henry yeah. Grammer? John. Oh, Henry Grammer was the guy that looked like stunt casting that came along. He was the one that drove uh, Hale down to down to Tulsa or down to. Yeah. Fort who Worth is that person? He really did seem like. His name is Sturgill Simpson, but he, he seemed so he seemed kind of out of place. Yes. He looked like he was like a. I was assuming he uh, was really a recording a, artist right. that was just like, like Jack showing White. up in the. In yes. The film. Yeah. Like Jack White who ran into a tree. Yes. Right. I think it was I think it might have been uh, John Ramsey, the character played by Ty Mitchell. I think yeah. that's what we're looking at. The tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Sir, did you say Sturgill Simpson seems like a recording artist? Yes. He is. There we go. He's a country music singer, songwriter, and he's done some Perfect. acting, but mostly <laughs> it's it's all like his Wikipedia is all musical style. And, and did you get, were you guys making a joke about Jack White? No, he's actually, no, he's yeah, in, he's yeah. in the radio. Know he's in, show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good. I just want to make sure that was clear. Uh, okay. Um, I think that's I think that's what I've got. Do you have anything else? Sturgill Simpson was also in The Creator. <laughs> last, <laughs> I saw that. Oh, good. We were there. <laughs> we all did. Oh yeah. What was he in the <laughs> Was he in The Creator? Uh, he was a character named Drew. Oh, um, oh uh, Drew. We, we hardly I knew don't you. Drew. <laughs> oh, I got to talk about one more. Brendan Fraser. Yeah, that's fun. You should talk about him. Yeah, he was. He neat. was good, right? He yeah. was good. Very small yeah. part. Would have liked to have seen more of him. Yeah. I think for me, very there menacing, is, very intimidating. Yeah, there is a like there it. is a legal movie in here with Jesse Plemons and Lithgow and Brendan Fraser that I would be straight down to see. Absolutely, yes, me too. Like yes. this, this yes. is a this is a season three of Perry Mason on HBO for me. Like hmm. I would watch these guys do a thing. That yeah. I love the courtroom stuff. Uh, Me too. And I thought it was a real rug pull. The first time they did it, they bring bring him into the courtroom and he's there for like two minutes. Like, oh, crowds are too busy. Everybody go away. And they took him away. I thought, oh, that's the end of the courtroom scene. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. was mad. I was hoping Leonardo DiCaprio would stand up and while no one's noticing, talk right to the camera and be like, now I'm just an everyday schnook. Like they literally <laughs> do the end of Goodfellas. <laughs> Scorsese just starts remaking all of his movies. Yeah. Has he appeared in his movies before, by the way? Yes. He has. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not super familiar with that. Where, usually very small sort of cameos. Oh, okay. Like, so he does like a Stan Lee thing usually. This was more like a Hitchcock thing. Yeah. Yeah, because this felt the reason why I bring it up like as part of Snowden is because that whole thing of like the reveal to the real Edward Snowden right. with Oliver Stone and this kind of thing, it just felt like it, he was really trying to give us some punctuation on what was happening and why this movie was made there. I think so. It felt, it, and I think part of it, it is what I was talking about of like, this is what it takes to make this. 
and I am a white man and it took me to make this and these stars and this thing and I'm re-putting the movie back on where it's supposed to be. I just gave epigraphs for all epigraphs uh, for all of these, the white men who all got pardoned, who all lived and were doing fine. And yeah. then, but I'm going back and putting it with Molly while reminding us that even history in her death poem, what's it called? Eulogy, uh, was <laughs> largely overlooked. I stand by my earlier white savior. Comment. I love it. This is what it takes to make it. We need, uh, we need, what did you say? Amer an American treasure to stand up, right. a, a white American treasure to stand up and say, we need to do this story for it to be told. And that's. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it, hmm. for sure. Glad I saw it, and now we need to talk about Letterboxd. Letterboxd, mm. Letterboxd, uh, take it. You know, we're all over Letterboxd, <laughs> and uh, you can be too. And we, we can, you know, you can jump to the Next Reels Letterboxd HQ page. It's at letterboxd.com slash the next reel, and that's where all of our movies and, and reviews are. Um, and we're going to pick out of five stars, half stars for some of us count, and a heart <laughs> indicates whether, uh, for me, it's a guilty pleasure mark. So if you don't know about the heart, you can be a one star and a heart. That's a total guilty pleasure. Where do you stand? I'm going to Tom first, because I think JJ's going to play us out. I am going to give this a 3.5 and a heart. That 3.5, uh, I know some people don't like 0.5s, my apologies. But <laughs> that 0.5 is leaning towards there is a very, very strong chance that I will rewatch this movie and like it much, much more on its own terms for what it's doing, be able to see it for not for what I wanted it to be or thought it would be, but see it for what it's trying to do and what it does achieve. Um, and again, Pete, I know that maybe you feel like you're a little bit on an island. If you guys have seen the reviews, this film is massively loved. Oh, yeah. You guys are on the island for sure. Yeah. I actually feel like sometimes it's nice to come into these movies and be a counter program, right? Like I, I like I almost a little bit regret that I don't dislike the movie because, you know, now I'm just on a bandwagon. <laughs> uh, OK, so well, that's... Green Book did win Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> See, boy, that boy. felt better. I hated Green Book and I stand by that. It's, All right, it was JJ, no crash. You... Yeah, right. it was. no crash. <laughs> what do you got, J.J.? Uh, I was a two when I left the theater because um, I was kind of bored and confused. I think my feelings mostly in the film were confusion for the reasons we talked about. I did go to the bathroom at one point. <gasps> Don't know what hour it was in of the movie, but I did uh, leave at some point in the film and come back. Um, but it's gone down since then because I've gotten angry. I mean, you guys hear my <laughs> anger coming with yeah. this. And I just feel like um, I want to be on the side of getting more of the stories where I believe they should be told. I want to amplify the voices of the people that should be telling their stories. So I'm taking it with that sort of, I've, I've pushed down because of then because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn my lesson in, in what I didn't see when I went to Green Book and was just kind of like, Oh, it's not very, it's kind of whatever. Like I want to be more of an activist to get people mm. to be able to tell their own stories. So I'm a one star what? Wow. And, and, and no heart. Wow, oh, man. I don't, uh, I think point, uh, Pete, I think your point about making sure we know the names Burkhart and Hale so that they have a black mark, mark is well taken. I take that. And yet, I think I want to know more about the people who were harmed by this. And I want to know their story even more. Hmm. 
All right. Well, I am I am going to counter program JJ then because I am I'm an easy 4 and I think it could go higher, but because I don't do half stars, uh I'm going to have to watch it again and and I cannot wait to watch it again. I really really can't. Like I'm mm. th- this is an Apple TV uh plus originals um production which means it's going to hit Apple TV plus at some point, probably I don't know what, 60 90 days. Um, and I can't wait. I can't wait to sit down and watch it again with others. And, and maybe because this movie hits, hits close to home, maybe because it's just, uh, it, it's a, a powerful Oklahoma story and it's fun to see really big players telling Oklahoma stories. Hmm. Um, and, um, I, I thought it was, I thought it was really fantastic. So, um, I know of a musical you might like. <laughs> is Corn's eye as an elephant's eye? Yeah, I have a lot to say about that show. Yeah, too. that's not that's not one we're going to revisit on the show for sure. Okay. Uh, hey, this has been really fun, you guys. Thanks for a great conversation, uh, and thank you all for downloading and listening to this show. Don't forget to join our community. Head over to thenextreel.com/slash/membership. Sign up and yeah. uh, and join us. Jump into our triple secret Discord channels. Yeah, uh, We'd love to have you there and talk about this movie. Don't forget to do all the stuff you're supposed to do with your podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, and of course yeah. listen. But perhaps most importantly, share. Let any of those movie lovers in your life know about this show. It's the best yeah. way we have to get more people listening to the show is you. Coming up next Aww. month, we're talking about Tom, why don't you do it? Whoa, I already named him. I name dropped one of my favorite directors is Dave Fincher. He's French now, <laughs> and we are going to be talking about The Killer, which is Fincher's first movie since Mank. It is also for Netflix, but it will also be uh, in theaters, and so you'll be able to cheer along with us as a bunch of things happen, and I have no idea what the movie's about, but it's called The Killer. It has Fassbender and Fincher, F and F. That's all I care about. The end. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Meeting adjourned. From now on, the ending music is the Entertainment Tonight theme. Entertainment Tonight, <laughs> right? As yeah. it should be. <laughs> and the the Letterbox theme is actually Spider Man theme. That's right. Letterbox. 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 Yep. Actually, I want to change it. The film board theme is Entertainment Tonight, but when it gets sad. Oh, like in memoriam. Da, 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 da. When they announce like a celebrity death or something. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then it goes. Ba, da, ba, ba, ba. And that's for Price is Right. And there's just a persistent it's a whole, clicking it's a whole of the wheel of in the under, as the sound for Inappropriately yeah. sad things. Right. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. 
And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.